Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Starving Writers Guild podcast. I'm your host, MC. It's a pleasure to have you back here with us. So, it is now time for the next part of our list. But before all that, I don't believe I have any housekeeping options except to say uh, there's going to be a little bit of a mix-up in the list today because I did add something to my top 100 that I finished um, and that what I've gotten through uh, the anime I've been watching recently, I would have discussed that. So, that's what this is. Uh, as a result, this episode is actually going to be covering, instead of 60 to 51, my 61 to 51. <laughs> because, as you probably guessed, that means there's something above all of that I have added to the list. And I will talk more about noir when we get to that part. And I did finish noir, and after some careful thought and consideration, I placed it where I did on the list. Now, as to the anime I've actually been watching, let's see... Uh, since I can't talk about noir yet, uh, I finished. Oh God, help me! Uh, I finished Zoid's Genesis. <sighs> and to those who saw on Twitter, uh, I did. I kind of railed against it as essentially a lifeless, soulless adaptation of the Zoid's franchise with awful animation. And, like, I think I've mentioned this before, but, like, I am not a person who notices animation flaws easily. But Zoid's Genesis, it is so obvious just how poorly drawn things are. The CGI is awful and stale and, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just janky. (laughs) So, if I were you, and you don't have to do what I say... I would recommend not watching Zoid Genesis. I watched it so you didn't have to. <laughs> uh, let's see. As far as everything else is concerned, I also am in fairy tale right now. I just got to episode two ninety four, I believe. Uh, yep, Natsu just confronted Zeraf. Really looking forward to that. Uh, I've still got my issues with fairy tale. It's like sometimes it's as high as a nine, sometimes it's about as low as a three. I mean, I think maybe by the time I'm done. You know, thinking of it overall, I'll probably give it like a six or something if I'm feeling generous. (laughs) I think that's about it uh, for everything I've been watching. So as far as manga is concerned, why don't we head over that way and let's discuss Kaiju number eight, where we get some amazing chapters uh, showing Kikuro's growth um, as she's bonded with her Kaiju weapon there. Uh, Some very lovely spreads. In the manga, that's the one thing we're always going to see. Almost every single chapter of Kaiju Number Eight just has a really great spread. And even though it makes you know reading it feel like it's only been two minutes long, uh, you can definitely feel the passion in the artistry done. I forget the manga's name off the top of my head, but uh, Kaiju Number Eight, excellently done uh, this week, which will bring us to Black Clover. I was so afraid <laughs> at the very beginning of this chapter because we are introduced to three new people and they all have gimmicks and sometimes when Tabata Sensei does it's like this is what they're all about like your goshes and greys and what have you and I thought the focus was only going to be on them thank god it wasn't because we got ourselves a bombshell at this chapter a lot of people had speculated on it before whether or not Yami would end up being uh, the Sasuke of (laughs) of his clan and his whole backstory about, you know, accidentally ending up 
and the Clover Kingdom was just a lie he told Julius uh, just to fit in there. And it seems like that is being confirmed because Ichika uh, has had such an animosity towards her brother. You know, some people thought, oh, maybe it's just because, you know, he's been lost all this time. He hasn't made his way back home. Uh, come to find out, uh, no, it's because, uh, according to her, he slaughtered their entire clan. So I'm sure, uh, as good as Tabata Sensei has been doing, uh, when he does come back, because unfortunately, uh, and he did mention in his author comments that his uh, little girl, uh, who I believe is about three or four now, maybe maybe two, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but she's been dealing with illness recently, and yeah, I think she's younger, and the man uh, is just taking after his daughter, so he's going to take time off of work, so I can never complain about that. It's good to see a family man uh, care so much for his family, and then for Shonen Jump to act atypical to themselves and not force him to be there the whole time. So as far as Black Clover is concerned, it continues to get better. Uh, out there sharing prayers for Tabata Sensei's family, please do the same uh, in whichever way you prefer. Uh, so that when he does come back, when this daughter does get healthier, like we can continue on to greatness. Um, <clears throat> next up, we go into Blue Box where we had a very fun chapter here with Taiki <laughs> in his jealous way uh, I can't remember the new guy's name that's from overseas that uh, Karin accidentally made Ayami think Chinatsu was interested in uh, and just his jealousy towards him like like the way uh, he gets called out oh you a Natsu fan it's like no she lives with me <laughs> And then learning that she had gone out to run uh, by herself, you know, it awakens that protective instinct in him. Uh, so he goes out to try and find her. But come to find out, she'd been on a run. She was helping out this poor old lady. That's what you know. Japanese old old people are. They're either you know intensely terrible perverts in your uh, Rumiko Takahashi, yeah, yeah, sense, or they're just so old and frail they need a young person to carry him around that's what's happening here and there's a little fake out with potentially a bear uh, being in the area uh, but they're able to solve that it's a really nice moment between Taiki and Chinatsu that just continues on this way and especially uh, I keep hating how he keeps getting gaslit by his friends and the thinking that he cares about Hina in the same way he does for Chinatsu it's just really good the love triangle is it's not even a triangle but they're trying to keep it one. It's so annoying. I, I can't stand uh, when <clears throat> when things like that continue. But that's it for Blue Box. Uh, uh, blah. Chainsaw Man. Another on fire, excellent chapter from Fujimoto Sensei. This, oh my gosh, the fight between Asa and Yuko, uh, and then those poor, poor parts of the Devil Hunter Club. <laughs> who <laughs> just get murked. I mean, I don't think all of them are dead, but it, it really looks like it from the way that uh, Yuko in her uh, Justice Devil form is able to just basically take them down this fight. But what is pulled in this moment in time is that uh, she can obviously read... Uh, I said Asa. I should have been saying Yoru this whole time. Yoru's thoughts. So she knows about all of Yoru's contingencies and all this, but... Yoru decides he can't win this, so she's allowing Asa to take control, which I'm coming to believe means that uh, Yuko 
is not going to be able to attack the person she's trying to deliver justice towards. And if she does, that means that the justice devil would be taking control of her. So my speculation, my little conspiracy tinfoil hat uh, moment here is, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but I think Denji is going to come in the form of Chainsaw Man and kill Yuko in front of Asa, or, uh, and that's going to cause further rift uh, definitely for Yoru, since the War Devil already wants to kill Chainsaw Man. But this is finally going to get Asa on board for killing Chainsaw Man in the same way Yoru does, to see Yuko die as her only friend that she's ever had. Uh, either that, or in the process of this, Asa is going to be forced to kill uh, Yoru to... Excuse me, not Yoru. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I, I just said her name. How many times is this going to happen? Yuko. She's going to be forced to kill Yuko. And as a result of that, is going to gain the powers because that's one of the things Yoru has been trying to do is uh, cause her to kill her friends to make more weapons and make herself stronger as the war devil to do all this. So that's probably uh, where we're heading to all of that. So with that in mind, I do need you all to please uh, join me in a moment of silence for the Hunter's Guild Red Hood. Thank you for your participation. Never gets old. Never gets old. Uh, so we go to Jujutsu Kaisen. <laughs> Where we continue our America bad. <laughs> uh, Storyline here, which, to be fair, is logical. And the fact that the way it's presented to the president, who originally, if I'm remembering correctly, does not want to go along with this plan until it's brought up like, look, if we're not the ones who do this, uh, what if Russia comes in? What if China comes in? Or uh, some of these other nations? If we don't start abducting Japanese people right now to harness their energy, someone else is going to do it. Which, like I said, I mean, if you're going to make it happen, that's a logical reason to do so. You have that moral conundrum there. Uh, kind of uh, in a similar way to uh, the way with, you know, like Operation Paperclip uh, with you know, the United States grabbing as many Nazi scientists as they could after the war to prevent them from falling in the hands of the Soviet Union. The same thing with Unit 731, all the research data that was in there. Um, and you can argue whether or not those were good ideas. At the end of the day, we did it to prevent the Soviet Union from gaining access to that knowledge. Whew, sorry, had a good old yawn there, getting old. <laughs> so, and then we get... Um, a really great scene of a bunch of the some of the best of the best soldiers that the United States has to offer in this moment. Um, so they're basically uh, hired to try and take down Ghetto, uh, but he definitely uh, proves quite easily uh, how good he is at his job of <laughs> being a very terrible person, uh, just proving to the United States for good exactly uh, what they're capable of in this. Which next up will bring us to Mashal, Magic and Muscles, where the uh, Range Brothers are fighting off against uh, Doom, if I'm remembering correctly. All those different names have been since the kids kind of run together after a time. And <laughs> they give it their all. They're doing their best. They just had that rough fight before. And now Doom's be like, okay, I'll actually use 50% of my power now. in <laughs> A total freeze a move. In a way that only Mashal can do now, and it doesn't sound like you don't roll your eyes when you hear that. 
such a really fun chapter, especially you know the ties between our brothers continuing uh, to grow in one another and their love for each other. And we can <laughs> poor match at the very end, still on the, the point of life and death. I'm really hoping it's because they were just turning it the wrong way. <laughs> that would be the greatest thing in the world. I mean, maybe it's too obvious, but I'd still laugh at just how great Nashville has been getting this time as the years go by. Next up, we have One Piece. And we get some more uh, lore on Vegapunk and his various ways of uh, creating uh, his different cyborgs. And in the process of all this, we get confirmation finally that Kuma is uh, Bonnie's real dad that she's been searching for this whole time. So it's a really sweet moment there. Of course, of course, the Straw Hats have a lot of uh, PTSD around uh, what Kuma has done to them in the past, even though it was to help them in the very end, uh, ultimately. And we get a very whatever scene where Law's been turned into a woman because of the you know powers that Blackbeard has got, and you know a lot of people were simping, of course, because that's what One Piece fans do nowadays. And a new female character gets brought up, doesn't matter where they came from or how they got into being, they're gonna, they're gonna simp over them. And instead of focusing on the really good points of here of Law and Blackbeard facing off against one another in a very great battle. I'm hoping uh, that this uh, continues along the way to be as good as it has been in the past. Other than that, uh, I also read uh, the latest One Punch Man chapter, which was really great. And we finally see Saitama starting to get some of the respect he earns, uh, being promoted to A-class hero, <laughs> and taking down all the robots that... that um, uh, Metal Knight had made up to protect this new facility where they're having the heroes live at was just really great. And of course, King coming to back him up like such a bro. And, you know, not even being upset when Saitama tries to show him the game system he destroyed again. Just I, such a bro, loving, loving relationship between the two of them. That's like, you know, that's what you want in a friend. Be like, hey, you know, this happened. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. It's okay, man. Love you, forgive you. I just love the two of them together. They're just such a great, fun friendship. Let's see, other than that, uh, comics, not too much to discuss this week. Um, let's see. Ooh, Avengers. Okay, so Avengers uh, 61, if I'm remembering correctly. We get a star brand issue, you know, because you demanded it, Marvel fans. You wanted a, Mar a star brand issue for in your Avengers story right here. And, oh my gosh, Aaron has lost his mind. And it's like, on their own, these ideas aren't bad. It's just when they all come at once, like they're time jumping through these different parts of history, and we get different characters that are tied into the things that are going on right now because that's all he cares about. Uh, and by the way, the cover is, I mean, misleading covers have always been a thing in comics, but like, this is one of the most misleading covers of all time because I don't know. Uh, maybe they did, but there's a bunch of alternate characters that never showed up at one point in time in this that on the cover looked really great, like uh, the thing as a man thing, and Miles was there at one point. Uh, just lots of uh, wasted potential there, just drawn to get people to buy it, all for the sake of a star brand issue of a character we only met a couple years ago who has done next to nothing, has had, had some growth. I would give, give Aaron that. But not enough for me to care 
And it's like, oh, well, she's using up her powers this whole time. And that means the more she does so, the older she gets. And at the end of the issue, she's old. And she says, Avengers Assemble, because she's an Avenger. Uh, it's it's bad. I'm, I'm so ready for him to be gone. And whoever's doing all-out Avengers, I want them gone as well. <laughs> That's so bad. Uh, why can't Marvel just hire people to tell good stories? It's one of the most frustrating things in the world. I mean, even the Iron Man issue in the year is like, for the most part, it's it's a talking issue uh, between, uh, and we do, it's a good twist. I'll give them, uh, the, give them this. Um, and that we find out that Cobalt Man, who had come to part, to be part of the meeting between Spymaster, Iron Man, and War Machine, and all of them, is actually Riri uh, Williams in disguise, and Tony didn't know this. But it gets, oh my gosh, it's compounded. Uh, let me get this off my chest. I have never been a Riri fan. I'm hesitant about the Ironheart series like that's about to release in a couple months. It's like, I don't hate her. Let me, let me make that perfectly clear. Don't hate her. I just hate how she's been portrayed as this smug, I'm better than you genius that came out of left field, has had no buildup whatsoever. You know, compared to someone like, you know, Reed Richards over time, you knew he was smart. You knew he was capable. Uh, Tony, you knew he was smart. He was capable. He could invent things. But they also had a ton of life experience beforehand. You know, they weren't some teen genius. Like, even Amadeus Cho, like, he was annoying when he first showed up. But over time, he proved himself. I'm not saying Riri hasn't proved herself in some ways. She has gotten way better than before. But this issue right here just goes back to that whole, well, I'm right because I said it. Therefore, you should do what I say, Tony, even though you're trying to be the adult here for once and saying, well, maybe you shouldn't have the Mandarin rings. Maybe we should just destroy them. It's like, no, no, you're wrong, Tony, because I'm me and I can do whatever I want, which is <laughs> ironic given that's a very Tony thing to do. But Tony is actually being rational in this moment. But it is what it is like. I really I want a lot better for Ironheart because I, there's a lot of p hidden potential there that I just don't think has been capitalized on. And once again, I have not read everything she's been in, uh, mostly the original series and some champion runs. She's a lot better when she's working off of other people than Solo, in my opinion. But yeah, Iron Man wasn't hitting it. So I think that's about it for everything. We're going to move on to our anime discussion going from my top 100 from 61 to 51. Once again, that is because if you skipped ahead, we're trying to blame some of you. Uh, I have added something to the list here that I just finished, and that means some things had to be shuffled down. So we're going to start tonight uh, with my number, let's see, 61 here tonight, and that is going to be Zetman. Now, this one's fairly obscure uh, in the anime community. I only watched it a couple years ago. Uh, for the first time. And Satan normally isn't my thing. Uh, it can be a bit too grimdark for my taste. It's, I think I've mentioned before, that's why you're not going to see, other than the fact that it's not finished, something like Berserk. It's not going to be anywhere close to my top 100 anytime soon. Even though it's a good story, it's got really great characters inside of it, I just can't. The world kind of kills me. If I'm not having fun, I'm not going to continue. But Zen Man, while it can get grimdark, and while there are some things, like um, I will mention for those who are a bit squeamish on the subject, like I am, uh, there are some rape scenes in the manga. I, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, they have been 
uh, in the anime removed entirely or like hinted at rather than shown. And let me tell you, much like, uh, what was it, well, forever ago, that one I was following, uh, Wolfen Guy, Wolfen Crest, or whatever it was, where we got chapters and chapters of a rape scene in one of the most disgusting th- things in the world. Uh, there are some chapters in Zetman that do focus on this. I mean, you're going to see some nudity in there as well uh, in moments like that. Uh, there's uh, some nudity as well in other scenes that are not nearly as bad as this, but to those of you who are a bit like me, that's something that really upsets them when you're reading something, mostly because of how poorly handled it can be, and I would argue it is poorly handled in Zetman, but I didn't want to warn you all there, just so you knew. Now that out of the way, Zetman, we got our figures here. We have Jin and Koga, two friends. They work together all this time, but they've been apart for a couple of years. Um, as they were growing up, uh, Koga has always been one of those people who wants to see themselves as the hero, wants to protect others, but like, is it because of altruistic reasons? Is it because um, of the fact that they just think they're better than everyone else? Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. And this, uh, as, as opposed to Jin, who becomes our titular Zetman, uh, transforming and, you know, protecting people from these demonic entities known as the players, uh, Koga becomes the form of Alphys, which is spelled weird and said weird, but you know what? Here's where we're at. So you have the more heroic looking figure of Alphys versus. Zetman, who appears like almost in a similar sense, sometimes design-wise, to Devil Man. Um, which obviously, if you're looking at the two, which one are you going to think is the good guy? Well, it's not Zetman. However, he is our POV character for the most part. Other people get their scenes, but uh, it's seeing Jin's journey uh, across, you know, learning how to be human, learning how to love and care for people. And then uh, Koga's journey as well to do the same thing. Gotta say, a lot better than I gave it credit for the first time I watched it. So I watched, I read the manga instead. And I would recommend doing that too, outside of those chapters I've mentioned. Because what the anime does is it's like 12 episodes. And they compress the story so bad. Like, if I'm remembering correctly, like, the first episode is basically the first volume. And uh, typically, for those who don't uh, read such things, that can be anywhere from, like, seven chapters to 11 to 12. <laughs> and, yeah. So, things are rushed in the anime. I'm not saying the anime is bad, because ultimately I still do it, and that's why it's on my list. But I'm normally not a manga purist guy, but when it comes to Setman, I would say definitely check that out more than the anime. A great OP for the anime, some great animation, awesome fights, uh, some nice eviscerations every now and then, really fun. That was my number 61, and that will bring us to number 60 on the list. So our next one will be our number 60, uh, Serial Experiments Lane. Watched this uh, about six or so years ago, and was blown away and how I didn't understand what was going on. (laughs) 
just to be perfectly honest with you guys off the bat, I definitely had to do a lot of research and everything. I had to rewatch some episodes to figure out what themes were going on in it. So, so what is Serial Experiment Slaying? Uh, essentially, it is the story, if in a very washed-down version, of our main protagonist, uh, Lane Ikamura, Iwakura, something, Ikamura, I think is her last name, as uh, one of her friends has committed suicide and left a cryptic message to everyone about what's going on, and then it becomes this huge conspiracy of, like, who Lane is, like, what is going on with the Wired, which is their version of the internet. It's a little, kind of a 20 minutes in the future kind of scenario there, where some things are kind of like they would have been in the late 2000, excuse me, late 90s, early 2000s, when around this was being made. And, yeah, but different things are made up, like more people are online, for instance. So, just unraveling the conspiracies behind that, of those things. And then Lane herself trying to figure out, like, what am I? Who am I? Am I real? Am I this tulpa? Am I, uh, am I this created being of another sense? Am I the internet incarnate? <laughs> it's very difficult to parse at times because uh, there are other things brought up, like uh, they bring up the Roswell crash as well. Like I'm doing a very poor job of explaining <laughs> this show, but I mean you're gonna just uh, it's Charlie Day in front of. The, the board with every all their strings connecting each other sometimes uh, in the shows like this. It's like, you, you're a conspiracy theorist. Uh, what, is, what does this mean? What is going on? And that's what Serial Experiments Lane is. It's this whole, like, uh, what what is going on? What is this mystery? What am I, what is real? What is not real? Is Lane an alien? Is she uh, from some other reality? What, what is, what is happening? <laughs> I mean, how else are you going to put it but that? And normally, mind-screwy things kind of like really make me angry and rile me up. But Lane, on the other hand, is just fun. And I know a lot of people will say, well, because it's challenging and confusing intentionally, that means it's bad. And I respect that. Like, if you look at something like this and say, this is not art, I'm going to disagree with you to a certain extent, but I'm also going to say I completely get uh, the confusion. I completely get, well, I didn't understand it, and even after I looked into it, I didn't understand it, so this is not fun to me, uh, ideology. So I would never call someone stupid for not liking the show. However, what attracts it to me, especially as someone who normally likes clear-cut answers like, I'm always going to be the person, like, if you don't show the monster in a horror film at all, I'm going to be upset. If you end up having the monster just be, like, their PTSD or something like that, I'm going to be upset. Like, I want, no matter how hokey and goofy the monster looks in the end, show it to me, explain everything about it when it comes to magic. That's why, even though I like stuff like Harry Potter, um, I, it's just, like, explain things to me. I want all the details down. Like, I'm still going to enjoy the show while I'm around, but give me everything. And I know other people aren't like that. I know most people, the idea of the nothing is scarier trope uh, would call me crazy because, well, it's just more uh, scary to me if I don't know what the monster looks like. And even though Lovecraft, uh, I, I know I'm getting way off track, but here we go. Uh, Lovecraft, I love Lovecraft's work, but he's over relies on that whole, there are things man was not meant to know, and we can never understand and you know it's 
from a religious background, especially in Christianity, like uh, in some of the classes I'm taking right now, yeah, there are definitely things we're never going to understand in our human minds. Like uh, try a wrestling with the concept of the Trinity or wrestling with the concept of, some, of a being that's eternal. As a finite being, I cannot relate to that as easily and understand that as easily. So there are parts where I'm just going to have to put out things in faith. However, if that's all you do, it gets lazy. Lane, on the other hand, does these things, but in a compelling way. Like Lovecraft does that for the most part. Uh, his nothing is scarier than you know the things man should never know. Does it compellingly most of the time. Now Lane, if I can get back and quit chasing down all those rabbit trails I've gone down in this discussion, <laughs> brings us these ideas of how much, especially at the time it was written, uh, as uh, resonated to today of how we look at the internet, how we spend our times on there, and you know, lose the life around us, and just get lost in that moment for the sake of entertainment, for the sake of complacency, rather than challenging ourselves, you know, going outside and touching some grass. <laughs> Lane doesn't say that, but that's kind of one of its messages. It's like, look, we spend way too much time on things like this. And how prescient of the series to do so. But also with its mysteries, which I think I went down another rabbit trail there, so sorry. <laughs> but um, you don't get clear, concrete answers. It's, I mean, it's Evangelion all over again, although Evangelion goes in very di different directions. It's like, if you go into the show thinking, I'm going to understand every single thing about this, you failed. And I failed the first time because that's what I do. I'm constantly, when I'm watching something, analyzing it. Like, for those of you who follow uh, the shows that I'm watching, like, I'm sending out conspiracy uh, theories about what's happened. And uh, for something like Mad Lax, which is one of the things I'm watching now, which, once again, if it nails this landing, may ruin this list again. I think I've nailed uh, exactly what is happening on one of those things. And Lane, for certain parts, I was completely correct on uh, her parts, aspects of her true identity. Others, it's like, was she an amalgamation of these things? Is there, are we working with uh, a tulpa of some sort? We're not going to get 100% the answers we want. And at the end of the day, I have to be satisfied with that if I want to enjoy this the way it's presented towards me. So that's it for Lane. I think I've over-explained and under-explained and just gone all over the place and discussing this one with you guys. So that's enough of that. Next up, my number 59 will be Mazinger Z, or Mazinger Z if you prefer it that way. This right here, some of the best trope-making tools for the mecha genre. We get our hot-blooded pilot. We get our Sundere uh, love interest, who also pilots, by the way. We'll get into that in a moment if I remember to talk about it. We get our uh, super robot mixed with real robot tendencies to create one of the best examples of how to start off a genre. I mean, before this, uh, you did have uh, certain shows like uh, Gigantor. Um, and you could say, like, or Tetsujin 28 Man, or however heck you want to say it uh, in the original Japanese, and say, like, look, this is the beginning of the mecha series. And it is, 
except for the fact that it's being piloted by a button outside of it and not inside of it, like a Mazinga Z would be one of the first ones to do so. It is so important in the way it is in its creation of establishing multiple long episodes over time, of building up story, creating conflict, uh, having uh, an invading force from either in Earth or out of Earth, attacking Earth to have the need for a mecha to show up and fight these problems. I mean, Mazinger Z creates a lot of these tropes, and for good reason. In most circles, it is hailed as like one of the fathers of mecha anime. We get, like I said, Koji Kabuto is one of the best protagonists we have for anime, and like he's a complete and utter jerk at times, who eventually softens up along the way uh, with his love for Sayaka, and his love for his brother, and his need to find his father again. But he's also the template for that hot-blooded determination pilot. Like, if I just fight hard enough, if I just believe enough, I can get things done. While at the same time also subverting some of the tropes that would become, in later mecha shows, uh, something that needed to be subverted before they actually were unbuilt tropes at a time, is how I should say it. Like, he causes destruction along the way. Like, he doesn't pilot Mazinger Z uh, effectively the first time when he does so like it causes devastation in their civilian casualties and like other shows would be like well we just fought the bad guys the whole city was destroyed but no one died <laughs> and Mazinger Z does not do that but what it also does um, I mentioned Sayaka earlier she also another unbuilt trope is a fellow pilot with Goji and as a result of that is capable in her own right. She's not really chickified like most, I mean, from your 70s and 80s, unfortunately, most, if there's a woman pilot, she's gonna be the chick. She's there for the sake of maybe fan service or just to have a girl around, and there's not much depth to her character. Sayaka would beat them all up <laughs> because like, she's one of the OG Sundares, like Asuka, owes a lot to characters like her without Sayaka like she never would have been made it's like it's so amazing just to see where these little drips as I was going through a series chronologically it's like oh I recognize this from that oh I recognize this from that it's like oh well they were inspired by this and Mazinga Z does that practically flawlessly in that regard that show itself is not flawless <laughs> like I mean it was at 92 episodes some of them, they're filler. They're not the greatest. Others, there's some really poignant episodes among them uh, where was it, was it Aphrodite X who sacrifices herself uh, for Koji having gained sapience along the way, if I'm remembering my details correctly. Uh, we get uh, Koji and Saika's budding love for one another that unfortunately separate series kind of ruined, but you know what, whatever. It is what it is. Uh, but just to say, all that from Mazinger Z, one of the best in the genre, it's the daddy. It's the one you have to look to and say, without this, the other shows that are higher on this list would not have happened, at least not in the same way. So, all praise to Mazinger Z, which will bring us to my number 58, Princess Tutu. <laughs> Uh, as you may notice, that is a wildly different title. 
for most of the other things on this list. Now, for those of you who haven't watched Princess Tutu, it is, I mean, you can put it bare bones and say it's a magical girl show in a different way, but our main character here, uh, a hero or uh, Princess Tutu if you're watching uh, the dub, or Duck if you're watching the dub as well, was a duck. <laughs> and in a very fairy tale fashion, which just takes a ton of inspiration from your uh, grim fairy tales for the most part. Uh, a duck wishes she could be human. Uh, she falls in love with a, a prince and wants to save him. And through the process of all that, uh, finds love, learns in a in a different way, let's say from Ariel, uh, from mermaid to human, like she, Ariel stays in love with the same man. She finds that, you know, she liked this guy, but she didn't know him. But she falls in love with another guy who is allied with him. We get some, uh, one of the evil characters on the show is uh, the girl who loves the prince as well. But uh, through sorcery has kind of lost her mind a little bit, forced into this dark persona. And we got this uh, storyteller behind it all. It's like this reality warping experience. It's very hard to put into words like what is happening around here but it's an atypical uh, magical girl show with a lot of fun for our fairy tale fans out there you're gonna love all the references you see along the way uh, duck has a ton of character development here uh, and you get I never say his name right it's spelled m-y-t-o-h if I remember correctly but it's like how, how do they say his name it's one of those like, how did you get that from, from this? It's it's not mytho, which is what I would say. It's like mytho or something. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but to see his journey as well from like supposedly this emotionless being, who the our uh, MacGuffin for the show is uh, that little heart shard kind of things that help restore his heart along the way as he becomes more human, and we get Fakir as a really great. Uh, side character initially who becomes more prominent along the way protecting him uh, falling in love with with Princess Tutu it's really fun it's definitely a show I never would have watched if someone hadn't have recommended it to me and I'm so glad I did it's very atypical to what I would like pursue in a show we get all these deep uh, emotional themes of what makes a person what are emotions how do they affect the world around us like uh i mean i bring it up all the time in these past couple of like what is what are humans what makes us so different from animals how can we be these sapient beings well they just seem like uh lesser than us and it grasps with these and answers most of the questions along the way um but ultimately it's a modern fairy tale done extremely well i highly recommend you all go out and watch uh princess tutu <laughs> sorry i just realized what's right above it and you could not ask for two more different series <laughs> our number 57 is afro samurai <laughs> so from princess tutu to afro samurai starring the myth the man, the legend, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, as he too becomes a magical girl. No, uh, Afro Samurai 
was one of those shows that you could argue whether or not it's an anime. For the sake of this list, I'm putting it on, so sue me for putting it on there. Oh, well, it's on there. You can't do anything about it. Uh, but uh, when did this come out? In like the 2000s, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, on, uh, oh gosh, Spike TV. That's right. Uh, for those of you who remember what Spike TV was, it was for men. No women, no girls allowed. <laughs> we show awesome things like Star Wars and ninjas fighting Roman soldiers and see how that goes and a thousand ways to die. You know, manly things. And uh, Afro Samurai is definitely rated M for manly. <laughs> but it is such a rich world. And like one of those things like how does this work? When you look into it objectively, like how in the end with these as our base premise did this work? Because it sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> in our weird world here, there are uh, basically things are decided because there's one person who won runs around with the number one headband and there's someone else who runs around with the number two headband. The rules are anyone can fight the number two headband so that they can eventually challenge the number one. But no one can confront the number one headband unless they have the number two headband. And people follow this rule in the show. Like, it is uh, anathema for people to not. <laughs> it is wild, complete. Perhaps it'd just be best if I just uh, discussed, I guess the actual plot besides that is that Afro, when he was younger, like, there's really no name given. We don't need a name. He's the man with no name. His job is to kill the number one guy. When he was a kid, his dad had the number one headband, if I'm remembering things correctly. The number two guy killed him, claimed number one spot, gave him the number two headband. Uh, eventually along the way, he lost it, but he trained night and day over the years for the sake of revenge to go and kill this man. And it brings up such wonderful questions like, when does the cycle of revenge end? Like, I mean, who is a person that has devoted his entire life to this one thing? Can they truly be called a man because, like, they've denied everything else, they've denied themselves, and they've all sought out after this one thing that's defined them? Like, how interesting is a person like that? Well, very interesting, done correctly in this formula. But, like, in their soul, like, how are they just so different than everyone else? Like, continually having to fight off people since he has to wear the number two headband on at all times in order to go against the number one, seeking him down. And Samuel L. Jackson, like he always does, he just does a tremendous job. His voice acting is superb. Uh, you really get a lot of the funny uh, interactions between uh, Afro and uh, Ninja Ninja. <laughs> just a, a fun character uh, to add to the show. And he allows uh, his vocal range to change a bit. Uh, to Sometimes you forget they're voiced by the same person. It's just so much fun, like, exploring this, like, how did this even come to be? <laughs> I mean, you could argue it's an excuse plot. And to an extent, you would be right. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it is one of the most enjoyable pieces of fiction out there and I highly recommend you all check it out uh, it's um, 
not too much. And Resurrection is good as well. I didn't put it on the list. Um, I don't like it as much as I do the original, uh, even though it does continue the themes of the cycle of violence uh, well, very well. Like I'm focusing just on Afro Samurai in this part. Go out and check it out if it's available anywhere. I haven't looked it up if it is. And if not, well, I'm not going to stop you from finding it. That's all I'll say. So that's enough for Afro Samurai. Uh, next up on the list will be number 56. Welcome to the NHK. Huh. This one, uh, in a different way than something like Zetman, can be fairly dark to people who are struggling with uh, depression, who are struggling with uh, self-worth and stuff like that. So, the spoiler ahead, like, to those of you who are doing this at a time, like, if I were you, if I were not in the right mindset to watch something like this, I would avoid it for now until you got the help you needed, uh, you had the time you needed to move on from certain things, because this can get very emotional at times. And a lot of people will rag on it and say, oh, it's just, it's just there to, like, fight with your feelings and make you feel certain things, blah, 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 blah. But... What Welcome to NHK does masterfully, I would say, is bring up what makes someone a neat. That's, um, uh, gosh, what is the correct terminology for that? It's not employed, no, it's not currently engaged in employment, education, or training. Uh, yes, that's exactly what it is. So it's this idea of someone who becomes a shut-in. Uh, a hikikomori uh, for those that's basically someone who lives in their own apartment rarely rarely comes out if at all uh, our main guy Sato is not nearly as bad as other examples I can think of in that regard like he does go outside but he suffers from that huge thing of not wanting to leave always being insular playing games and escaping the real world uh, trash just filling around his house uh, of which certainly I am very guilty of not to the extent he is, mind you. I'm a bit cleaner than that, but I'm just lazy. But although that can be a sign of depression, and it has been in the past for me, so I will share that with all of you. What, welcome to the NHK is, is the story of Sato. Uh, as he is uh, gotten, he's dropped out of college after a while and dealing with his trauma from his past. Uh, some of which, I mean, compared to other people, is not as bad, but clearly. We all know there are certain things we go through. We could look at them objectively. Like, it's not as terrible as what's happened to someone else. Like, I've never been a starving child in Africa. This is what people always bring up. But that doesn't mean the trauma I experienced was any lesser than it was. It just means putting things in perspective, it could get worse. And that's what the show does, is it shows these very different characters uh, with Sato and the young girl who's in a sense, you would think at the very beginning would be his manic pixie dream girl, and she is at the beginning. But there's so much more to her than that, uh, this being, of course, Misaki. And his journey with her, and like she makes a pact with him to try and help improve his life and, you know, quit him being a shut in, getting him a job, uh, getting him to meet other people and confront the trauma of his past. While at the same time, as the show progresses, you realize she's just as messed up as she is, but in different manners. Like, she has horrible parents. 
like uh, for the most part, if I'm remembering correctly, like his mom is actually pretty good, but there's still things from his past that mess him up. And it's their journey together, figuring out like what made us this way. Can we overcome them by ourselves? Is there something else we need to do? Do we need to get help for that? I mean, all of that, uh, just to say, it's a really great show. Uh, sorry, I got texted by my sister-in-law about something there, so I had to pause for a moment. <laughs> so all I would say about Welcome to the NHK, uh, definitely, if you're in the right mindset, I would definitely recommend you go out and watch it. It's a very fun show. And in the middle is a little bad. I'll put it that way. There's an arc I don't particularly care for with you know your multi-level marketing schemes. That kind of drags on for a bit. Other than that, I would really recommend uh, people go out and watch the show. So... That was Welcome to the NHK, our number 56. That brings us to our number 55, which is Do-da-da-da. Now, I know some of you are out there saying, but the animator isn't really over, is it? Well, no, it's not, but the light novels are. And the ending is done. That's what it is. Do-da-da-da is a show tailor-made for me in most respects. Uh, I would definitely, if it were completely finished light novel-wise and I had read them, Bacchano would definitely number one be on this list like I think I mentioned when we had our first discussion uh, and it would be way higher uh, in the same vein as Durarara because like I said it is a cast of a lot of characters who we see the way their lives weave together in ways that you don't expect at first that you learn along the way they all tie together for the most part they're all pretty engaging and even better, when you have a cast of large characters, you have an opening that names them. <laughs> Which is super useful to someone like me, whose memory sucks. So, thanks again to the people in charge of making that decision. Uh, I could not have watched the show the same way without that. Now, da-da-da-da. How do you explain da-da-da-da? Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Anemonemone. As my lisp and stutter comes out in full force in this well basically uh there is no basic answer <laughs> but what it is is it takes place and uh in what the time was modern japan uh, you had a, a group of students living their lives while there's this uh, uh gang war essentially on the rise while there are other characters who are living their lives just trying to make their way in the world. We've got this super strong guy who's always on the lookout for this crazy manipulator who just does things uh, for the evils, is what it appears like. And ultimately, yes, but in the fun, jokery kind of way, rather than I just do things because they're evil, blah, 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 bad guy. And some people would argue that, but uh, Isaiah is way better than that. Uh, and a couple others as well as like uh, Selty or Kelty, if you want to say it that way is you could argue she's the main protagonist. I wouldn't necessarily disagree, but for those of you who've never seen it, <laughs> she's a Dulahan, which is an Irish Celtic uh, bit of mythology lore there, uh, someone who would usher people onto their deaths, but in somehow uh, in the process, she has lost her head. And that's one of the main mysteries of the show, is like, where is it gone? Uh, is she going to be able to find it? As well as our what looks like to be our main character, but is basically a decoy protagonist in Mikado. As he's moved to the school, he's got an old friend there. He's got this girl, Henri, he's interested in. 
and all the trauma she goes through real bad for her but all these things connect together and part of the great appreciation you can gain for the show is looking at all of them and going oh well he said this in episode 10 which set up this line in episode 22 or there's not aren't specific examples but you get the idea of like there's a lot of payoff for someone who pays close attention and as someone who loves writing things like that and someone who loves reading things like that like I said this show was practically tailor made for me highly recommend Durarara. all its openings are bangers uh, you can add those to your playlist anytime you'll thank yourself that'll bring us to our number 54, which is Fooly Cooly. <laughs> I know some people, it's like, that's on your list? Yes, it is. Uh, one of the, uh, the term I have since learned for this is widget series, <laughs> which uh, without looking at the page itself, uh, basically, essentially, it's one of the uh, weird series from a different country brought to another country that uh, just would not normally be something that a target country would like. And Fooly Cooly is definitely one of those. It's in the same way they argue that South Park uh, is to them, is Fooly Cooly to us. And that's why we have a South Park reference in the show proper. But Fooly Cooly was one of the formative anime experiences of a young weeb watching Toonami who most definitely did not understand everything they were saying because I was uh, around the age, uh, a little older, of Nauta, and all the puberty references went right over my head, uh, which there are a ton. And, okay, I've lost track of my thoughts. Uh, let's just put it this way. Fooly Cooly takes place in Japan. Imagine that, an anime doing that. There's this young boy, Nauta, who is about to go into middle school, if I remember correctly, and it involves him just finding this strange, in her own, it's a manic pixie green girl, but in only way Haruho could do it, as she gets bonked in the head <laughs> with a guitar, causing things to erupt from his head. What's that a metaphor for? Well, we're all adults here. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> anyways instead of being a child um, and never growing up like certain characters in the show oh themes yeah uh, what that does is it ends up with him discovering like uh, it's okay to be an adult it's okay to grow up and get rid of childish things but not childlike things because now to thinks in order to be an adult he has to deny himself certain things and that's a childish way of thinking as you know, young men and women do, we just look up and say, oh, well, if I want to be an adult, I have to be serious. I can't do things, things anymore. I can't like cartoons. I can't eat sweets or what have you. I need my taste has to be more refined. And that's a lie we tell ourselves when we're younger because, I mean, just looking up, it's, um, we think that's what adults do because they're super serious all the time compared to us. You know, they're just focused on goals and they don't watch cartoons. They don't do anything like that. It's silly things. But even though I had someone like my dad, who I have someone like my dad, I should say, who is one of the most childlike people I know in a good way, 
I still had thoughts like that growing up because my dad was the one who introduced me to comics. He introduced me to to uh, cartoons and to some anime along the way as well, uh, but not a lot because he grew up in the 80s when that was just coming over. Not his fault. He didn't know a lot of it, and I just hit my mic again. <laughs> so add that to your bingo cards. <laughs> but that's what we fool ourselves into, and it fully coolly brings up this idea of what does it mean to be an adult? Well, don't worry about that when you're a kid. <laughs> You're supposed to have fun. You're supposed to enjoy life. You're supposed to go out and find a girl and meet her and, you know, date. You're supposed to, you know, watch cartoons. You're supposed to just have fun around yourself. And then when not to say you shouldn't worry at all about the things that you do when you become an adult. But that shouldn't be your main focus. And it brings up to all these sexual innuendos. And once again, flew way over my head as a kid. Uh, some of them I barely understand now, <laughs> just for the sake of a brutal honesty there. But um, the show itself has done a really good job of being self-contained, six episodes, and it tells a complete story with a lot of fun antics that go on, a lot of good discussions and themes running through it. I would definitely recommend Fooly Cooly to all of you. So enough about that, we'll go to our number 53, which is Mobile Suit Gundam, Iron-Blooded Orphans. This was another one of those shows, uh, kind of a rain, a ra- a rain around the same time as, uh, as I was watching Attack on Titan and One Punch Man that got me back into anime, because uh, I had mentioned Gundam Wing before, that was one of my um, uh, original anime series I watched, and I put it on in the whim and <laughs> uh, looking at the wrong order at Hulu I watched episode 18 is my first episode I think I think that's the one where Cordelia makes her big statement uh, across the fleet about all that stuff and I thought man this is a good episode I just wish I had context for some of this <laughs> until I realized my mistake started from the beginning and then moved on from there and what I got was uh, unexpected because I mean your Gundam series I'm used to your beam weapons I'm used to uh, your uh, goodness gracious uh, radiant blades uh, I'm blanking completely on their lightsabers <laughs> I'm so I'm so good at what I do here I don't know why you people listen <laughs> I don't know why I keep these things in either Oy. beam sabers thank you Christian for thinking of that immediately yeah, right. <laughs> so anyways, that's what I'm expecting from a Gundam series. But what I get is a little grittier, a little uh, not seemingly not as futuristic as other Gundam series until later on it's revealed like those things exist, but they're not used because of certain events in the past that happen. Great reveal at that part. But Iron Blood Orphans is definitely a show that if it were handled the way the ending was handled the whole time, I would not like it as much as I do because I still have mixed feelings on the ending where it gets way too grimdark for its own good. It tells a good message about why it went that the way with the way, you know, winners write the history and stuff like that. Well, I'll get to that in a moment. But it handles a very depressing subject of child soldiers. Now, Gundam has always had an issue with the young protagonists uh, essentially being child soldiers fighting in wars. I think uh, Uso was our youngest uh, what was he, like 10 or 11? Which is kind of bad. <laughs> and not to say, like, 
uh, Amaro being like 16 or 17 is much better, but at least he has more of a choice in that matter. Uh, but these child soldiers are way different than the ones that came before. Like they are literally forced into doing this. Otherwise, they would not survive. And Mikazuki is so emotionally damaged as a result that he is unable to identify with other humans as easily as other people can. And com compared to Orga, who, by the way, is one of the best captains we've ever had in Gundam, putting that one out there for free. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, and the way all these kids, their trauma has just so affected them so poorly. And you get someone like Kudelia, who is one of the best Rolina XPs we've ever had, putting that hands down as well, who sees their condition and in a loving way wants to help them, but she doesn't understand them. So there's conflict that arises from that. So great. And then their journey of they were nothing, they were street rats, and now they've got this power, they've got the Gundam, they're going to go out and make themselves, uh, uh, slice themselves a part of the world, meeting with creating Tekadon, uh, meeting with um, our pirate buddies and his, <laughs> his harem of women, you know, that no real relationship would ever work as well as it does, but this is anime, so we can get away with that. Um, and then coming to Earth and fighting for a way to make Mars independent from Earth. And once again, there's normally a flip. Normally these guys would be the bad guys, and as later history shows, they, they make them the bad guys because other people win, but, you know, whatever. But typically, we would see things from the side of Earth. And it flips that around in a good way. Uh, get some really great mobile suit fights. Love the animation going on there. First season is spectacular. It'd be higher on the list if it was just the first season. However, <laughs> we get into the second season. We introduce some new characters. Changes are made. Uh, we get a weird uh, love triangle with Kudelia, Atra, and Mikazuki. I was on Team Kudelia. I'm sure you all figured that out by now. But yeah, the way things ended there, uh, Naze, what is his name? The Turbines. That was their names. Uh, inspired by them, she proposes something. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, we don't get to see play out as effectively as I would have liked if they're going with this idea. But that's that. Now let's talk about the ending. This is so divisive in the Gundam fandom as to whether or not this ending is earned. I would say, ultimately, it is. I just hate it. <laughs> Although I understand it. And what that means is that don't like it, but I get why you made the idea to do this, and I get why it works. I just despise everything about it. Uh, we see our group of heroes, our anti-heroes mostly, working their way up the ranks, becoming their own little private military contracting group, get wiped out at the very end and branded as the villains for this whole conflict between them and Gellerhorn. And of course, McGillis and his but my bail arguments which is one of the dumbest reasons anyone has ever been destroyed in Gundam is like, well, this was my plan. Well, they didn't have to listen to you when they said that. You just thought they did. <laughs> Anyways, the ending is very depressing. I will get that out of the way. It's not a total downer ending. It's esoteric happy ending, I guess would be the trope I would use to describe this. And that there are survivors 
but most of our heroes are dead. Orga dies in a very tragic way. Laughter dies in a very tragic way. Ugh. I mean, you've probably seen that gif uh, shared a bit around the internet lately. At least I have on Twitter and Reddit, but it gets very depressing. The wrong people win. I understand, but I hate it. <laughs> I can only say that in so many different ways. But ultimately, as a Gundam series, it is worthy of its addition uh, to the pantheon of Gundam shows. I th think this is my number four overall, if I'm remembering correctly, for Gundam series. So that's that. Next, we'll bring us up to uh, number 52, which is Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water. Now, uh, to my Gynax fans out there, now Trigger. Oh, which, by the way, oh, I forgot to mention, uh, Cyberpunk and Runners, a very great show. A bit of a very bittersweet ending, but very fun. But forget about that. We're talking about Nadia. <laughs> that just triggered my memory of watching the show. Nadia is a Jules Verne fanboy's dream as an anime show. We get plenty of inspiration from that idea. I mean, obviously, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, uh, around the earth, uh, around the world in 20, 80 days, stuff like that. Huge factors in creating this show. It's got some choppy animation every now and then. Gynex, unfortunately, was just one of those studios that were under crunch times and had very little funding. And they, I haven't watched this documentary, but hearing people talk about it, uh, discussing the history behind Gynex and how they were like a bunch of artists who had no clue what they were doing. <laughs> And basically bungled around over the years, barely having funding, barely having time to do stuff in a proper manner, barely paying their employees at all. It's awful. But they made great work. And Nadia uh, is not the only guy next material we'll see on this list. I can think off the top of my head of at least two more that will be up uh, more high. But what it does is it places us in that uh, turn of the century, uh, 19th century, turn of the century, uh, excuse me, well, early 20th century. Sorry, late 19th century, early 20th century, so a little before that. A little steampunky, not quite uh, at that time, but you get the idea of what I'm saying as we meet Nadia, and uh, what, is, what is our main character's name? Oh my gosh, for the life of me, I cannot remember. Is it Claude? Jean. Yes, Jean, but Jean because French. <laughs> As a young invent, uh, adventurer, uh, inventor who becomes an adventurer along with Nadia. As they go out together, they get uh, attacked by Team Rocket <laughs> with Grandis and her goons. As they go off along the way, they want the secret of what Nadia has, which is ties to this ancient Atlantean culture. Uh, would eventually get aliens along the way too. That's a bit of a not a shocking reveal. I kind of figured that out. But if you're not expecting it, it's a bit shocking. And of course, we get the Nautilus and Captain Nemo uh, as they continue to journey with him. And Nemo is one of the greatest characters in all of fiction, I would argue. Uh, I would argue immensely for that because of his backstory. Uh, because of the way he does things, uh, like his ultimate goal, uh, attacking ships above him, like it's changed obviously for this series. But you get similar respects to how he is in Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. 
great, great job done with him as they uh, globetrot around the world in the Nautilus, uh, uncovering mysteries. Now, the worst part of the show, and one of the reasons why it's ranked as low as it is, is about the middle of the show where there is a ton of useless filler. Some of the worst I've ever seen. I wanted to skip them all. It's awful. Whew. Now, besides that, this show excels at exploration. It, ex it excels at characters, at uh, what drives them to do what they do, and uh, the hidden mysteries behind everything that's gone on. Some of it gets a bit too convoluted for its own good, but at the end of the day, I would champion the cause of Nadia, the Secret of Blue Water. You guys should all check it out. One of the greatest things Gynax has produced. That'll bring us to our number 51 and the final entry of tonight. And that is number 51, Armored Trooper Botoms. Now, this is an 80s mecha anime uh, made in about the middle of the decade. And this show is amazing. I had the immense pleasure of watching it last year for the first time uh, while I was on break at work, just watching a couple episodes at a time, and to see uh, Chiriko and, um, <clears throat> oh gosh, what is her name? Why can I never remember her name at the right time? I am so bad at this, guys. <laughs> it's uh, Chiriko and Fiona. Uh, was it like F-Y-A-N-A, -A, something like that? We find uh, there's this huge mystery of uh, Chiriko as it goes uh, on this operation where everyone else dies, if I'm remembering correctly, except for him, where he stumbles upon Fiana, who is designed to be this uh, psychic soldier uh, for one of the warring armies of the time in the future, and then follows Chiriko as he, like, love at first sight falls for her, but then... Uh, has to suffer through a lot of really degrading things to come along, find his own mecha unit uh, to use uh, to try and find her and reunite with her and save her from the way that she's being used to prevent, uh, to actually, if this war is to happen between these two opposing sides, there's a tumultuous peace at the moment. Like, things would go awry, and we get into a huge conspiracy about uh, the origins of this uh they're called PSs. I can't remember if that stands for Psychic Soldier or not. Uh, like, And then Chiriko's origins as well. Uh, this huge moment of just traveling around from planet to planet. Mecha fight after mecha fight. It's like, why are we here? What are we doing? How did this war come to be? Armored Trooper Botoms has some great mecha fights. Has some great characters to get drawn into. Some would say it overstays its welcome episode-wise. I would give them a little credit for saying that. But ultimately, at the very end, this saga, because there's one more in this kind of world, which, spoilers, will be on this list. But as for just Photons itself, great show, great pacing, fun to watch, and I would say go and check it out, guys which I do believe brings us to the end of our discussion tonight. So thank you all for listening. Uh, please do us all a favor by leaving us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. We are the Stiving Rock... <laughs> One of these days I'm going to get through this correctly. We are the Starving Writers Guild. 
we are writers helping other writers. It is our job to help you as we're helping ourselves. Same way, try and get our own work to be independently published. We can help you with that. We can help you with editing. Uh, you can find us at StarvingWritersGuild.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the Starving Writers Guild Podcast. Please let us know when you do so, and we'll follow you back. We always want to stay in touch with our fans. Uh, let's see. Other than that, I believe that's it. So until next time, see ya.